after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for the good news, Lord, we've heard from Zambia and how your gospel and your power is working there. We also thank you for your word, Lord. I just pray that you would enable me to speak truth, Lord, and to speak your word, and that you would speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tonight, with the Lord's help, we're going to consider this title, The Power and Wisdom of Christ, Part 1, because we're going to finish the chapter, Lord willing, next week. I had five pages of notes from this part of it, and the whole thing works as one section, but I realized in the time I have tonight, there's no way I could go through the whole thing. So we're splitting it into two parts, and if we pay attention this week, we're going to build up, and then next week, that is going to build off of it. The truth from next week is going to build off of this sermon, so it's very important that we get what we, um, I believe the Lord has for us tonight. We have all heard the phrase, I believe anyways, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Alright? But, how many times have you ever had something that was working fine until someone tried to fix it? I think of my phone. Every time I finally learn the program, the settings, or my computer, they make an update that changes all the settings. So now I don't have a clue what I'm doing anymore with the program. It's great. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or how about our healthcare system? I can't think about that without thinking about our country's healthcare system. It had plenty of problems, yes. But would anyone argue with me that our healthcare system is so much better today than it was before our government stepped in and fixed it? Have you ever had a bad mechanic work on your car? He fixed it all right. Or, um, I think of the story my dad tells about Cleveland Baptist Church many years ago. They had had a professional come in and EQ their auditorium, so all the sound system works great. Well, their sound man came in the next day, and something sounded different. So he went in, and he fixed what the professional has done. We have a, I'm very glad Brother Zach is back there. He's doing a great job tonight, but we, and always. But we had, in Cleveland, the sound man came in, and he thought that something was wrong, and he changed all the settings that they had paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have actually changed. He fixed it all right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. While everything man makes really can be improved, everything God does is perfect. We don't need to improve on what God has done. We don't need to improve on God's plan for reaching the lost. And that's what Paul's getting at here in this text. He's been, every time we try to improve on God's plan, we destroy what God is trying to do. In the Corinthian church, Paul had started it years before, and now he's hearing of contentions, he's hearing of problems in this church. And so he's writing back to the church and saying, hey, what's going on? What's going on in this church? This isn't the way that God wants his church to run Don't try to fix God's church. You need to get back to what God has already told you to do. So Paul's writing a letter to a church that is carnal 
It's full of contention. And in, if we go back in the um, verse number 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Alright, so that's what Paul wants for the Corinthian church. Now, if he is saying, writing to the church and saying, this is what I want, it stands to reason, this is not what is happening. He's writing to the church because there is contention. He's writing to the church because there is problems. They are not of the same mind. They are beginning to have, if you look through the, um, the other verses before we get to our text tonight, so you have one group over here that's saying, I am of Apollos. I think Apollos is really cool. I like the way he speaks. You had someone over here, well, I was saved when Paul came to preach. I want to follow Paul. And then you had, as, as Pastor likes to say, you have the pious gas bags over here. We are of Christ. Okay, but what it wasn't because they were extra spiritual, it's because they were beginning to allow worldly thinking, they were beginning to allow the world's way of reasoning or what they were looking for into the way they were living for Christ, is what was happening. They were beginning the, the, the way they had left, they had come out of the world to be saved, but they were bringing some of the philosophy, some of the thinking of the world into the church with them, and it was affecting the way they were living for Christ. Paul is concerned with this, so where does he start? He's addressing the serious problems, and the first place he says, there's contentions in the church, there's problems in the church, I need you to be of the same mind. So where are we going to start? Paul starts with reminding the Corinthian believers about the gospel. Here's how you got saved. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's focus on the basics. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I came and preached the gospel, Paul's reminding them, I didn't come and preach with the wisdom of words. He's saying, when I came and I preached the gospel, if you go to chapter 2, he says, I came with trembling and fear. I didn't come with enticing words. I wasn't coming with the logic, with the reasoning of the Greeks. I wasn't coming with the amazing signs and wonders and things that would just, well, you have to believe because you did this. No. Paul is saying, when I came, I came and I preached the gospel. Because that is what God had called me to do. He did not try to impress them. He did not try to overwhelm them with his logic and with his thinking. Simply what Paul did, he went to the city of Corinth and he preached Christ crucified. He preached the gospel. He preached that Jesus Christ is God. He preached that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he is the only way to heaven. That's what he preached. The simple truth of the gospel. Because he didn't want the gospel to be made of none effect. That's what he said. Verse number 17, let's look at it. It says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, not to... Um, oftentimes when they would baptize, they would think, Hey, we're following this one man. But he's saying, No. God sent me, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So why did Paul, he went, Paul had the ability to reason. 
Paul was a very, he was a Pharisee. He had the, when he was a Pharisee, it, the Bible says he compelled the Christians to blaspheme. He had a way of working with words. He could be very, he was very intellectual. But Paul purposely chose to leave all that behind him when he was preaching the gospel. And as he goes through the remainder of this text, he draws a very stark, a very big distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men. Verse number 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. To a lost person, the preaching of the cross is illogical. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. You talk about someone who died on a cross as a common criminal, the death of a common criminal, 2,000 years ago is supposed to change my life today. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That isn't the most logical thing I could say. To a lost person, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But if you have been saved today, that same preaching of the cross is the power of God. It is the working of God. You look up the word power and it goes through all... If you go through the Gospels, everywhere talks about the mighty works of God. How some places they wouldn't believe despite the mighty works. Or God or Jesus could do no mighty works because they didn't believe. Works there is talking about the mighty working of God. That's the power of God. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of God that healed the sick. Raised the dead. That's the power of God here. The preaching of the gospel is the power of God. But to those who are unsaved, it's foolishness. But God says, he, Paul's quoting Scripture and saying, God has already promised that I'm going to take the wisdom of this world and reveal it and show it to be simple foolishness. How many times has a man stood up and said, talked about how smart he is and how Christianity is so stupid only to be proved completely ignorant, only to be proved that he doesn't know at all what he's talking about. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. It is. And God will destroy the smug, calculated thought process of the man, the philosophy of this world, such that the answers are within you. That's the philosophy of this world. You don't need to go around. The answers are already within you. That's the philosophy of this world and its foolishness, according to God. The idea that you and I can make things better. That's the philosophy of this world. That is foolishness. The world is going to say the preaching of the cross, that's illogical. That doesn't make sense. But God is going to take the, what the wisdom of this world is and show it to be complete foolishness. Man's, God is going to bring man's wisdom to not. Paul then begins to question. He says, where is the wise? Okay, where's, bring your smartest man. Bring your smartest man. Where is he? Where is your scribe? That is someone who was studied in the law. He was studied. It would be a Jewish person. Someone who was studied in the word of God. More often than not, in this time, the scribes were no longer even studied in the Bible, but were studied in their traditions. 
But they were considered to be the smartest people. They were the intellectual elites. He says, where is the disputer of this world? That's a debater. Someone who just knows the answers and can take it and turn it inside out on you. He says, where are your smart people? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And then he begins to so say, verse number 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, in God's wisdom, in God's wisdom, the world by wisdom knew not God. In the wisdom of God, God has made it to where man cannot think his way to knowing God. You and I today, in our own un, unregenerate sense, when you are unsaved, are thinking we, are, we cannot by our own wisdom know God. Because God has set it up that way. In the wisdom of God, He has set it to where man can't reach God on his own. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Paul's saying, in their wisdom, the world can't know God. But what God decided, what it pleased God to do, is to take the foolishness of preaching, something that the world thinks is illogical, something that the world says, that's foolish, yet it is through the preaching of God's Word that the power of God is revealed through the Gospel. If, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, it is not through your intellect, it is not through your great knowledge. It is through the revealed power of Christ through the Gospel. Through the preaching of God's Word. You see, man's wisdom seeks something they can understand. Let's look at it. Verse number, 20, uh, verse number 22. For the Jews require a sign. Alright? This talking about the Jews... As a, as a people group in this time, they were looking for something miraculous. They were looking for something to prove. You've got to prove it to me. You know, I need to see it. In that way. I, I, want, I want you to prove what you're saying is true. And then he says, the Greeks seek after wisdom. I want you to convince me. I want you, through your arguments, through your presentation, to show me that this has to be true because this isn't true and use your logic to convince me. I'm, the Greeks were seeking after wisdom. The Jews were seeking after the miraculous. They were seeking after the supernatural to prove. It says, you've got to prove it to me. Both groups are the same. The wisdom of this world is, you've got to prove it to me. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks a foolishness. Though the Bible here, it uses, it puts in two classes of people, that includes all people. The Jews were seeking after a sign, the Greeks were seeking after wisdom. Let me tell you, they go by different names, but we have the same people today. We have the same people in this city today. One person says, I need you to give me the facts. Okay? You say, you say Jesus is God. Well, where's that in history? Let's, let's, let's sit down. Let's have a discussion here. Show me why this must be true. Then the other person says, I just need to feel it. I don't feel it. We have the, don't, agree with me. We have the same groups of people today. In this world, 
who, if you're going to teach the gospel to them, they say, well, it just doesn't feel right for me. Or they're going to say, hey, you gotta, you got to give me the intellectual arguments. Why doesn't creation, you know, why isn't this world evolved? You know, prove to me creation. Prove to me there is a God. Or, I have to see God. You've got to reveal God to me. We have the same two groups of people today, the same worldly thinking that God is going to prove foolish. Because we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks a foolishness. Those who are saying, I just have to feel it, say, wait a second, Jesus Christ crucified, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel good. I don't know if I can agree with that. Or someone else say, you know what? That the facts just don't add up. You know, so many people say Jesus never rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. They're go- and they begin to add up all their facts against it. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, it doesn't matter which mindset we might say you came out of. If you believe the gospel, the preaching of the crucified Christ is the power of God. In the power of God and the wisdom of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God and is the wisdom of God. It is something that we cannot comprehend. It is something that is beyond us. It is the power of God. When it's talking about the power, it is... um, We get our word dynamite from it. The word dunamis, but that's not exactly what it's meaning here. Because dynamite came much later than the Apostle Paul. But what it's referring to is the military force. This is God's power. When we think of, you see a military army on parade, such as in the Cold War, Russia would march its troops. Or in World War II, before World War II, Germany would march its troops in a show of power, in a show of might. They're saying, this is what we have and this is what we're capable of doing. But the gospel is the very power of God. Why is the preaching of the cross, while foolish to world, really the power of God? Because God is so much higher than man. Look at verse number 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. What God, what men see as weak, what men see as foolish, is so much stronger, is so much better than even the best man can put forth. Because the foolishness of God, God didn't choose some, though He could have, some great, high, and mighty way that only the best could reach. No, God chose something very simple. God chose something almost that the world would call foolish as His means of reaching the deaf in Zambia, of reaching New York City, of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. That's what God has chosen. And Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers and he's challenging them with, and he's addressing the contentions of the church at Corinth. And he draws a distinct, stark contrast between the wisdom of God, the power of God, and the wisdom of man. That there's a very distinct difference. It cannot work together. Man's wisdom cannot know God. Man's natural thinking cannot know God. And is stumped by what he can... Man is completely baffled 
by how God chooses His plan to reach the world. He says, this is foolishness. This isn't right. This, is, this shouldn't work. It doesn't make sense to me. But that's what God has chosen. Why is Paul drawing such a distinction? Why is he saying, this is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Man's wisdom is nothing. The gospel is the power of God. Pre- the foolishness of preaching is God's plan. Man's thinking, God is going to bring it to nothing. Why is Paul doing that? He's drawing such a distinction. I believe tonight, because any attempts to use the wisdom of man in the proclaiming of the gospel of Christ, expressed through the preaching of the gospel, the power of God, any attempts to use man's wisdom in expressing the power of God through the preaching of the gospel will be ineffective. That's what Paul said in verse number 17. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Alright? I like. I was thinking about this word effect and what, the idea. Alright? In World War II, I've read some World War II. I'm a history buff. I like it. I read books. And um, talking about... Um, individual stories of heroes of our country. And there's one guy, his name was Audie Murphy. And this is, um, he um, won the Congressional Medal of Honor twice. And there was one time where he went alone and was on a tank that was burning. And he dragged the phone wires up there. And though everybody had left, he was calling in artillery on the phone to stop the German advance. And he stopped it single-handedly by staying up there and exposing himself and calling in artillery. But this is what he said. As he call, this is what artillery spotters would do. They would call in the artillery and say, this coordinates, this coordinates, fire two rounds, let's make sure we got the range right. They'd fire rounds. And when he got the range right, this is what he said. Fire for effect. That was, that was what they said. Fire for effect. Okay? What that means is... You got it right, plaster them. Leave nothing left. Fight when you have an artillery shell dropping on you, that's effect. Alright? Now, it also, in World War II, we had our tanks. They were the Shermans. They were small. They had the German tanks. The Tigers. The Panthers. They were big. If a, if a, if a American tank, excuse me, fired its small gun at a big German tank head-on and hit it where the armor was thick, thickest, it would do nothing. It would have no effect. That tank would just keep right on cruising. We found German tanks with five, six shells embedded in their armor. And that tank was still cruising. That is no effect. An artillery barrage stopping an entire German event... That's effect. He said, fire for effect. But that's in military realm. In the realm of the gospel, when we bring the world's influence of thinking, when we allow the thinking of this world, well, I really need to prove it to them. Or if I could, ju- if I could just show them some miraculous thing, the whole world will believe. 
What we are doing is we are removing the effects of the gospel. We are removing the power of the gospel when we put the power and thought process of man instead of what God has already said, the preaching of the gospel. That is why we must preach the gospel. That's why Paul was challenging the Corinthians. He's saying, stop this worldly thinking in it. Because you're going to make the gospel which saved you of none effect. Preach the gospel. He's challenging, leave man's wisdom behind. So what should we do? We need to stick to God's plan. Preaching the gospel. So the power and wisdom of God has effect. Because it's not about us. It's about the power of God. It's about the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. That's what the passage says. That's what the Bible says. The gospel is the power of God. So what, as a believer, should I do to allow the gospel in New York City today or in Corinth in that day to have effect? It is not seeking to prove it to someone. It is not building up all your, or having this wonderful thing where they can feel it. Paul's saying, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching as the means of proclaiming the power of God, the gospel. The primary application of this text is obviously witnessing to the lost, trying to reach a lost and dying world, if we want the gospel to have effect today in New York City, we have to, as Pastor faithfully does, stand up here and preach the gospel. Someone say, well, that's a little outdated. Some may say, that really doesn't make sense. That really doesn't appeal to the lost people. That isn't the point. The point is, it's God's chosen means. And when we, say, we, when we begin to allow our thinking to mess with it, we remove the effect of the gospel. We take the power out of it. It doesn't have to make sense to us. We need to stick to God's plan and allow God's power to work. How many of you have ever played chess? I like chess. I'm not good at it, but I like chess. I had some friends who are good at chess. And I would be playing them and I would make a move. And then they would make a move. And put a piece right out there in the open so I would take it. And I'm saying, why would you do that? That is a foolish move. But what I, in my limited understanding of the game of chess, could not see was that what looked like a foolish move was setting me up to get creamed. What looked to me like a foolish move was the very means that he used to totally clobber me in chess. And oftentimes when we allow our limited thinking to affect how we look at God's plan, we can limit the ability of God's plan to work in our lives. If we want to see our co-workers get saved, it isn't, well, I'm just going to build up this stack of arguments. No, it's the gospel. If we are going to see our lost family come to Christ, it isn't, well, 
they are just going to see my wonderful life and they're going to want it so bad they're going to feel it. No. Though that can help. The power of God is in the gospel. We say, that doesn't make the most sense sometimes. To the lost, it doesn't make sense. But if you have experienced the power of God in your life, if you've experienced the gospel, you know it is the power of God. You know that it's simply through a crucified Savior who is risen again that you can have eternal life. Man's earthly wisdom is always going to contradict God. Man's earthly wisdom is always going to contradict God's plan. But it's never, ever going to usurp it. It is Man's thinking is never going to provide a better means than what God has already said. Man's wisdom is always going to question God's word. They say, you'll never reach people if you tell them you're sinners. You need to use logic. You need to convince them. But remember, the power of God is in the preaching of the gospel, not your and I's wisdom. Your and I's wisdom can make the gospel ineffectual. To where what God wanted to do can be stopped. And Paul's warning the Corinthian believers, he's saying... You got the gospel through the preaching of God's word. Now live like it. Pastor so often it says, you were saved this way, live this way. The same principle for the power of God is in salvation is the same principle for living our life. It doesn't have to make sense, but God's plan still works. The world may say, that's foolish, that's outdated, and they will, because it doesn't make sense to them. But that doesn't change the fact that God's Word is still truth. Like I said, the main application here is reaching the lost. But you can take the same principle that God's plan works and apply it to whatever area of your life you want to. God's plan still works. Marriage still works. Giving, finances, God's plan of tithing and giving to His church is still the best way to live for God. The best way to keep your finances. It may say, you may say, the world's definitely going to say, I know this, that's foolish, giving 10%. You can do so much more with 100% than 90%. It's math. Check your calculator. But the foolishness of God is so much wiser than the wisdom of men. The str- weakness of God saying, You give it to me, and I can do the rest, is so much stronger than even the strength of men. God's plan never breaks. It never needs fixing. It only needs to be obeyed. God uses what confounds the world to bring glory to Himself. And that's what Paul's trying to Challenge the Corinthian believers here. He's saying, you got saved this way. I preach the gospel through the power of God. Why are you trying to add men's wisdom to it? Why are you trying to now philosophize? Why are you trying to think bigger thoughts? The power of God is in the preaching of the gospel. The power of God is where God says it is. 
We need to stick to God's plan, stick to what God has already said, if we are going to see God work. Preach the gospel. When your coworkers say, you know, why are you different? Don't try to philosophize. Preach the gospel to them. Say, I know someone called Jesus who saved me. And preach the gospel to them. That is the power of God. When we try to introduce our own thinking and our wisdom into it, we remove the effectiveness of the gospel. That's what Paul said. So what do we need to do? Stick to what God has already said. From this pulpit, pastor week, every week, now I on Sunday nights, are, what we try to do with the Lord's help is preach the gospel. Preach what the Word of God says. Because that is the power of God. Not some great illustration I can think up. Not some great, even song leading that, I, that we do or congregational singing or some special music. The power of God, while that all has its part, the power of God is where God said it is. Through the preaching of the gospel. Let's pray tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray that we would trust it, Lord, and that we would obey it, and that we could see your power work. In Jesus' name I pray. Before we finish that prayer, if anyone needs to come forward and pray, or just pray there in their seats, we won't have the piano play.